tears. This old world is bound to change, but I chapter 9 and verse number 57, I'm going to pull, read one verse, pull a statement out of that verse, and then mess up your life. No, uh, I'll try to help, try to help you with some of this singing. Boy, I love that song that just read. Thank you. Thank you. He is amazing, God. You know, if grace ever stops being amazing, you better figure something out. You better find out something up with that. God's sake is with us so great salvation, not a so-so salvation. I'd say, well, I've been saved a while. I've been, I've been saved since I was nine. This year, I'm 60 years in the grace of God. He still amazes me for God's sake. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Let's stand up again, please, in the Baptist Globus. I'm going to read one verse. It's not fair to the text because it's a man coming to Jesus about discipleship, Jesus giving him the requirements of discipleship, that is a whole other subject, but I'm going to lift something from verse 57, give you a thought tonight, Luke 9, 57, and it came to pass, as they went in the way, here's the statement tonight, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, he goes on, Jesus goes on to talk about foxes having, uh, not the whole, have holes there, uh, birds have nests, but son of man has not where to lay his head. You ever notice how Jesus, you know, when somebody came to him wanted to follow him, Jesus would say, pick up the recliner of dawn and follow me, brother. We're going to have, get the hammock out. It's all going to be swinging in the soft breezes. He wanted to have Jesus to come to him. No, he said, if man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Real biblical Christianity presents up front scriptural Christianity presents this soft soap, let it all hang out, baby, sloppy, agape kind of Christianity where you just kind of show up, feel like you feel to go on, do what you want to do. There's a church in our town had a sign that said, come as you are, stay as you are. I thought, that's modern Christianity right there. Come as you are, stay as you are. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Here I am preaching the text and I'm not going to. Okay, verse 57. Preachers, the rabbit chases fools, however, that works that way. 
certain man, there was a certain man. Have you ever noticed how many times that in the state that shows up in the Bible that God put a certain man in there? You know how many times? Thirty times in the New Testament. Matter of fact, there if you go over to verse thirty of chapter ten, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Guy fell among thieves, that was a certain man. Notice down there a couple more verses, verse 33. The guy that helped him was a certain Samaritan, no name. And you keep on going in your Bibles in the Gospel of Luke. Keep going if you would for just a moment. Show you a few things here. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. I preached on this the other night. He spake also a parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Turn over another couple of pages. Luke chapter 15. Look at verse 11. A certain man had two sons. The parable. See that? Look at Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 1, Luke 16, verse 1. He said also unto the disciples, there was a certain rich man. See the certain man again. Look at verse 19, chapter 16. This should put chills in your bones. There was a certain rich man. A man of honor and integrity. Thirty times in the Bible. Now, I'm going to say this again. Grant, we're going to say a few things you've got to remember. 30 times that certain man is mentioned in the Bible. He, the name is never given. But it, sometimes it'll talk about what kind of person he was, whether he was wealthy, whether he fell among thieves, whether he had vineyards, but always just a, a certain man. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen. And is what, church? That means everything the Bible says has some profit and help Amen. us. Amen. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. The King James position is an every word position. Amen. Some people say, well, it's got, it's close. It sounds like it. They're all, they're all, no, they're not. But now, wait a minute. So, so why, why, and most often in Jesus' parables, 51 parables that he taught, often he talked about a certain man, a nameless person who showed up. Now, look here, I'm going to say this, get you down here, listen. Sometimes there was a positive thing about this certain man. This guy in Luke chapter 9 there, he's coming to Jesus saying, I want to follow you. That's positive. The rich man in hell was a certain man. That's a negative. So what's the difference between the positive of a certain man and the negative of a certain man? What's to be learned from this? It's a couple simple thoughts and I'm going to be gone. Father, bless now that my Holy Spirit be with us, I pray. Help me tonight, God, please. I, I, I have a privilege to stand in this pulpit where the man of God stands week in and week out. I'm privileged, Father, to preach your word. How unworthy, honestly, God. Why in the world you ever want to use me for anything? I have no idea. And yet, Father, tonight I get to preach before a man of God I respect. And I just pray now that this whole thing comes together here. And what I say dovetails with Brother Cox. These dear people who come tonight, they come to these meetings, will get yet another installment of what you have for this church and these churches in the meeting. So bless tonight, Father, we need you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So this certain man, sometimes a certain man came to Jesus, he asked for healing, he asked for help, he asked for strength, he asked for guidance, he asked for direction. That's the positive certain man. Sometimes Jesus would talk about the certain man, and he would talk about a certain man who fell among thieves. The rich fool was a certain man. The man with the planted a fig tree in his vineyard was a certain man. 
the man who made a great supper and invited all his guests to come was a certain man. The prodigal's father was a certain man. The rich steward of Luke 16, who said, you know, I, 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 I've got all these debts to pay, and I'm not sure how to, I don't understand that parable. Maybe you can explain it to me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Uh, but here's this guy who's a rich steward. The rich fool was a, student, a certain man who said, oh, I got all my barns and built everything. Hey, life's good for me. I'm good. I, I, that's increased rich good. I need nothing. The Bible, God said to him, thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required from me. He was, he was a negative rich man, a certain man. The rich man in Luke 16 was a certain rich man. He fared sumptuously every day. He let a beggar lay at his gates and eat scraps from his garbage, stepped over his old twisted legs, and let that man Lazarus lay there by his gates, and they both died on the certain day, and the certain rich man wound up in hell, and the beggar wound up in heaven. By the way, not because he was poor, and not he didn't go to hell because he was rich. Well, they didn't know Christ, and that's the bottom line for everybody. But that rich, that guy, that rich man was a certain man. Now, what does that mean, though? What, what can we draw from this tonight? Here's what it means. There's lessons for us to realize and understand. And the inspiration of Scripture will give us some lessons from this, these certain men that are mentioned in the Bible. Here's, here's the lessons tonight. Write to me. First of all, that certain man could be any of us. It could be any of us. No, no, not me, preacher. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not going to wind up losing everything like the rich fool. Not me. I, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be the one who falls among thieves. I mean, that, that's not me. That's not my. I'm not going to wind up in hell, Pastor Johnson. Come on now. I'm not. That, hey, listen to me. The certain man could be any of us. One of Satan's greatest deception is it won't be you. Look at me. It won't be you. Now, it won't be you. Now, it won't happen to you. Don't worry about it. I mean, everybody else does this way. It happens to them. But it won't be you. No, that's not how it works. In this thing of the certain man, it could be any of us. Not all called certain men had bad results, but many were and have the same potential, and so do we. Ladies and gentlemen, we all live. If you're a child of God, you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you, and you've got a carnal nature inside of you. And that carnal nature, according to Romans 6, 7, and 8, hates God, hates the Bible, hates anything that's holy. And that carnal nature cannot be subject unto the things of God, will not be subject unto the things of God. You ever wonder why you see a Christian there, seem like they're going along, they're doing so well, and all of a sudden, boom, their life blows up. Well, first of all, that never happens. Backsliding is not a blowout, it's a slow leak. They're just getting where they've been hidden for a long time, and they wound up there. But now listen, everybody's got a carnal nature inside of them. You've read that list in Galatians. You've seen the things that are in our, far, our fleshly carnal nature. And there's stuff in there that is the most unholy, ungodly, un, unimaginably wicked things that could possibly happen to anybody. And everybody in this room, saved or lost, has that carnal nature inside of them. That means every one of us could be the certain man who winds up in hell. Every one of us could be the rich fool who winds up losing it all and God demands of their life. Every one of us could be that person who falls among thieves. Every one of us could have a negative result on this thing. We've got to realize that today. The painting by Leonardo da Vinci of the Lord's Supper, you know, it's, a, it's on a fresco on a wall over there in Italy. Jesus is in the center. The disciples are on either side of him. When da Vinci would go to do a painting, he would always try to find people that he thought fit the character of the painting. So he went around the city and the area there where he was painting this fresco on the wall. Just me, some painted on plaster on the wall. 
but he was, as he was painting it, he went and found all the different disciples, and just each one, he, he read about them in the Bible, and he figured this one, this one would work, that one, that one wouldn't work, and he, he got them all, and he would have them sit, and he would, he would paint them into the Lord's Supper. So every one of those people in that painting was actually a real person, except for two people. He couldn't find two people. He kept looking. One of them was Jesus, and the other one was Judas. And he looked and looked and looked, and one day he was walking to a marketplace there, and a young man, a nobleman, this young man, it seemed like the sunlight just sort of hit this young man's face, and there was such a glow of, of, of innocence and, and purity about the young man. The man said, well, that's, that's my Jesus, and he went to him and said, sir, I, in our defense, I'm doing the Lord's meal, the Last Supper, and I would like you to sit as Jesus Christ in this painting. The young man was very impressed now. So he paints him in there. Then he starts to search for Judas, a man who would sell Jesus for the price of a crippled slave. Sit where Jesus said, walk where Jesus walked, heard all Jesus said, and then give him up. And he's trying to think, what kind of a look would this man have on his face? What would he be? A year, two years, three years, almost five years went by, and he just couldn't find his Judas. And he was walking through that same marketplace about five years later, and a man was lying in the gutter covered his own vomit, excrement, everything else. And as Da Vinci stepped over him, his foot dragged the man, just touched him. And the guy turned up on his elbow and cursed at him. Da Vinci stopped him and said, there it is. He said, sir, I'm Leonardo Da Vinci. I'm painting the Lord's Supper. And I, I'll pay you handsomely if you allow me to sit you with that painting. But it would be as Judas Iscariot. And the man looked up at him and said, sir, five years ago I said in the same painting as Jesus Christ. Therefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. But are you scared me, Pastor Johnson? No, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But there's enough flesh in any human being in this room, from every child on this front row to everybody in this building, anybody on this planet to commit the most unholy, ungodly, unbelievably wicked things on this planet. Yes, it can. It could be you. But wait a minute. Then there's the certain man who comes to Jesus for help and comes to Jesus for healing and comes to Jesus for strengthening and comes to Jesus to get what he needs in his life. That could be you too. Now look at me. Look at God didn't play favors with people. If you have a need and you go to God, you could be the certain man if you've got the sense to go to God. He cares about you. He watches over you. He loves you. Yeah, that's right. God loves us. That's amazing to me. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. That old hymn in the Bible, in, in our hymn books, a man, that man, a preacher and his, his daughter were writing the words to that song. And they couldn't find the last verse, and they were searching it out, and they had already written everything up, and they, they couldn't figure out what they wanted in that song, the love of God. They were in an insane asylum in Switzerland back in the late 17, early 1800s, visiting people, encouraging folks. And as they walked down the hallway, a man in that patient in that asylum, in a moment of lucidity, scribbled on the wall, could we with ink the oceans fill? What world? Could we with ink the oceans fill? And every man a scribe by trade. Were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. 
That's the last verse of that hymn. See, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me now. Even in a moment where a man's mind gave him just enough sense to realize and know that God still loved him. Yeah, that could be us. Why can't it be us? Why do we have to feel like we're going through everything in life alone? Why do we feel like there's nobody for us? I don't understand Christians who say, well, I just feel like I'm all alone. You're never all alone. No, he'll never leave you or forsake you. It could be you if you're willing to go to him. It could be you to be that certain man who gets the healing and the help and the strength and the blessing and the encouragement and the God who comes along beside them and strengthens and helps them. It could be you. That certain man also teaches it should be. It should be any of us. Those who pay an awful price and lost so much as the certain man. You say, well, Pastor, I, I wouldn't want to be like that. I want to be I don't want to be the one who winds up in hell. I don't want to be the one who's a rich fool, loses everything that they have. I don't want to be that certain man. But why shouldn't it be us if we're not going to do something about it? Why shouldn't it? Why shouldn't we be the certain man? Why shouldn't we? Why, why shouldn't we be able to sin and not have no consequences? Last time I checked, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 6. You know that's written to Christians. It's not written to lost people. Why shouldn't that be us? Why, you know, it should be us. It should be us. If we're not going to do what God wants us to do, if we're going to follow the ways of the world, if we're going to live a carnal life, if we're going to get attached to this world, love the world, not the, love not the world, the, the things of the world, then we're going to do that. If that's how we're going to live our life, why shouldn't it be us? Why shouldn't we have wages to our sin? Why shouldn't we have consequences that we reap? Why shouldn't that be us? You see, it should be. God, my friend, doesn't play favorites in his love for you. He also doesn't play favorites in the fact you're going to pay a price if you're not going to do what he tells you to do. It should be us. Why shouldn't we make the same decisions and choices and suffer the consequences for them? Well, I don't think it's fair. People get out mad at God. They make choices they shouldn't make. Live the way they shouldn't live. Consequences come, and then they blame God for it. Well, why shouldn't that be? That should be us. As preachers, we try to help people, obviously, and our desire isn't to harm people or to hurt them. But for goodness sakes, they come in, they make a mess, and then they want us to fix it in a five-minute counseling session. I'm amazed at that. They live years in wickedness and wrong, and then they want it all go away with, please forgive me. You know, when God forgives you, he forgives you of the penalty of that wrong, but he doesn't forgive you of the consequences for it. Hey, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow the flesh, you're going to reap the corruption of the flesh. But you sow the spirit, you'll reap, you'll reap life everlasting. But that sowing and reaping thing, that comes in. Someone once said, boy, if you're going to sow wild oats, you better pray for crop failure. The truth of the matter is it doesn't work like that. That should We should be the certain man. If we're not going to do what the Bible tells us to do, we should be the certain man. As a marriage fall apart, kids turn bad, everything go wrong, we should be the certain man. If we're going to get caught up in this life and do what the life, we should be. That should be us. But then there, there's that positive side that it should be us. It should be us to come to Jesus. It should be us to know that he's going to help us. It should be us who know and realize that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
See, I, I, I believe there are a lot of Christians who labor under the burden of forgiven sin. Now, most Christians, to be honest with you, a lot of Christians, they don't have that burden because they haven't got right about it. They want to bypass the forgiveness, the confession of sin. That doesn't mean go to the phone booth, tell some guy dressed like a mother, calls himself a father, and got an eight-year-old boy. I'm not talking about that now. I'm talking about the fact, let me, I'm talking about the fact if you go and you confess, which means to agree with, you stand up with God, you agree with God about what you've done, and you see it like God sees it, not like I see it. My sin's not bad. Yours is terrible. But my sin is not bad. No, no, I see it the way God sees it. Most Christians don't really confess their sin. They just acknowledge it, and then they keep on going to sin. No, no, who shall confess and and forsaken their sin shall have mercy, the Bible says. But there are some Christians I have found who have, by the grace of God, have honestly gone to God, made it right, confessed it, righted their wrongs. Then they live under the burden of forgiven sin. Yeah, but, yeah, but I messed up. Hey, friend, look at me. As far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. Once he has wiped away the the penalty of the sin, and the consequences have run their course. Everything's okay between me and God. That, that's a good thing. That's certain man that it should be. We should be able to go to Jesus and know that He heals us, heals us, helps us, strengthens us, lifts us, forgives us, restores us, puts us back on our feet, sets us up lifts us up out of that miry clay and sets our feet upon a rock and establishes our going, puts a new song in our mouth. Oh, yeah, that's, that should be us. It should be. And also this on the certain man, it shouldn't be any of us. Why do we listen to the warnings of God's Word, the Spirit of God inside of us, the Word of God in front of us, the man of God before us? We hear it, and then we just decide, yeah, but I ain't doing that. That shouldn't be us. We should be able to get a little humility. Now, let's get a lot of it. There should be enough in us to turn around and say, you know what? I, I need to go to the altar and just get my face in that thing for a minute. And then get up. I believe most work, frankly, is not done at an altar in a church. I think this is where you lay the seeds of repentance. This is where you plant the seed of it. But then you get up and you go home. See, that's the thing about America today. Men, the society today. Everything is just temporary. Look at it. Do it. And then social media is ruined, folks. They, everybody thinks, oh, my name is on social media. My life is ruined. Don't worry. They're going to forget about you another week because everybody else is going to have their drama put in there and all that junk. That's why you are wasting your time on social media. You're wasting time. What do you think? Why do you want to import everybody's drama anyway? Huh? Some fool in Australia, you're importing their drama from Australia. Who cares what they do over there? They don't even speak English, for goodness sakes. I mean, think about it for a moment. It's amazing to me. But wait a minute. We're, 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 we're so caught up in the temporary of things. Just a moment. Okay, I, I go to the altar. I say, I'm sorry. There we go. That's good enough. No, we need to go home and think on that a little bit. We need to go home and realize maybe there's a little something else God's got on us. And all they did was use the preaching of the Word of God and just sort of steer something in our minds. Think, I, I need to do something. But you know what? Here's what we do. We think just because we went to the altar, we fixed it at the altar. What you did was you started it here. And when you get up and go out that door and you get in your car and you go to your home, 
Now it's going to begin. And why shouldn't it be us if we're not going to heed the warnings of God? Why shouldn't it be us if we're going to live in the consequences and just go back to our old sin and keep on sinning? Why shouldn't it be us if we want to say, well, you know, I know God forgives, and after all, but they don't repent. There's no repentance to it. And they just think, because I said, I'm sorry, it's forgiven, and that's the end of it. Well, if you've been sorry and you ask for forgiveness, you have been forgiven. Now what do you need to do? Why shouldn't it be us if we're going to just let the Holy Spirit of God just we grieve Him in our work? There's two things you can do to the Holy Spirit of God. You can quench Him and you can grieve Him. And the Bible is a picture of the oil and the Bible is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The burning of the oil is the working of the Holy Spirit. Quenching Him simply means you put the fire out. Yeah? Remember, those, remember those Emmaus disciples after Jesus' resurrection? They're walking along, talking and stuff to each other about what happened, and Jesus comes along beside them. He said, what do you say? What's going on, fellas? Hey, we, didn't you hear about it? Jesus, the prophet, the mighty man of God, we thought was going to deliver Israel, been crucified. Some people are saying he rose from the dead. We're not so sure what this is all about. And the Bible says that as he is his old fools and slow up by him. And he goes to the Old Testament and shows them the resurrection of Christ from the Old Testament. And he sits down with them and he talks and he has a meal with them. Don't tell me Jesus wasn't a Baptist. First thing he did was sit down and have a meal. And he gets there. I saw a picture the other day. It showed the pipe on the Vatican when they get a new pope. The smoke goes up. It says this is what happens when the pope, uh, the Catholics get a new pope. And then it shows a bunch of people around a barbecue smoke coming up. Goes, this is what happens when the Baptists get a new preacher. But, you know, you stop to think about it. And, they, and, and he sits down. He has a meal with them. And then he just disappears. And they go, did not our hearts burn, burn within us. Jeremiah said, I, I I can't preach anymore, I can't do it. But his words were like a fire in my bones, and I couldn't contain it. So, well, that's for preachers, Pastor John. So, when was the last time it didn't burn with you in your walk with God? When was the last time fire? They say, well, I don't think we ought to dwell on the emotional side of things. I agree. Don't dwell on the emotional side. But there should be something. I think how God can come in and not touch you. That's something not happen. But why, why shouldn't it be us if we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? We quench His working by putting the work in, by, by stopping the working of the Holy Spirit. We grieve Him because we just flat turn Him because He's a Holy Ghost. He's a Holy Spirit. And He's not working and something's not right. Why do we live like that? Why do we just go on and go on and go on and just say, well, I'm going to church and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll deal with this stuff later on. No, no, no. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of the 1800s, was walking with a friend of his down the streets of London. The middle 1800s, there were no cars or anything like that, but there was horse-drawn carts and car horses and people tromping around. People got trampled to death all the time on the, on the streets and across the street. Spurgeon's walking with his friend. Spurgeon at that time was the most popular preacher in the world. Every sermon he preached was on the front page of every major newspaper in the world. Thousands came to him to hear him preach. They give him a ticket on Sunday morning and they're not allowed to come back on Sunday night because thousands were there. Spurgeon's just walking down the street with his friend and they're talking and they go across the street and his friend's navigating the traffic. He's getting through the traffic and he gets to the other side of the street and turns around and Charles Spurgeon's standing in the middle of the road with his hat off and his head back. And the man stood there in horror thinking here's the world's most famous world God-blessed preacher on the planet at that time. He's about to get run over. And after a moment, he bowed his head. Spurgeon put his hat back on, walked across the street. His friend looked at him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, Mr. Spurgeon, I appreciate that you have a desire for prayer, but please don't stand in the middle of the road like that. Do you realize how dangerous that is? 
Bruce said, sir, as I crossed that road, a cloud or something came between me and my God. Something in my heart, something in my life, and I refused to take another step until it was gone. We live with it. Why shouldn't we have a cold Christianity? Why should we have one of those clean, cold Christianities? You know what I'm saying? It's clean, but it's cold. There's nothing really working on the inside. Nothing moving on the Spirit of God on the inside. See, I look at it like this. If I'm sitting around listening to preaching, if God doesn't move on me, I think there's something wrong with me. Gotta be something. It's not the preacher. It's gotta be something wrong with me. You mean to tell me I hear sermon after sermon? I'm reading my Bible in the Spirit. I tell you what. There's times when I go to my Bible to read it, and something's not right in my life. I don't care what you're reading. You could be reading the Chronicles and all those names: Joe Babagat, Me Babagat, Rebabagat, Kidas, and all the names you never heard. You hope you never hear again the rest of your life. And you're reading through all those lists of those names, and something's not right with you and God. And I don't care what it is. The Spirit of God is saying, "Yes, somebody hears something. Let's deal with this. Let's." Do something about it. Now you either close the book, put it down, get up, get your coffee, get your phone, get your TV on, turn on your computer, get in your car, blast away and move on, or you realize you can't go take another step until you know everything's all right. Why shouldn't it be us to be the certain man? We get the heat, the, the calling of God upon our hearts and the God's spirit of God convicting us and working in our lives. Why shouldn't it be us? Oh, but wait a minute. There's a positive side. Why shouldn't it be us that God helps and uses us in our life? Why, should, why shouldn't it be us to lead a soul to Christ? Why shouldn't it be us to teach a Sunday school class? Why shouldn't it be us to get on a bus and work a bus route? Why shouldn't it be us to have a track in our pocket and hand it to somebody and give them give them a track and tell them about Christ? Amen. Pastor Rule, my good friend who's preached here, of course, he's a guy from Ohio, and everybody knows nothing good comes out of Ohio. But, yeah, his wife got saved because she was a waitress at a restaurant. Somebody left her a track and a tip. She took a break, read that track, trusted Christ, and now she's a preacher's wife. Why shouldn't that, why shouldn't that be us? Why should Carl Hatch have all the good illustrations? I listened to him preach all these years, and half of those I thought, nah, that can't be true. <laughs> I just thought, nah, he's preaching, nah, he can't be true. And he, Carl, it wasn't, was it 100 bucks or 500 bucks he'd give you if you ever caught him without track on? I know preachers who go to his hotel at 3 o'clock in the morning and knock on his door just to try and catch him without a track on. And he'd open the door and he'd reach in his pajamas and pull out a track, close the door, and go back to bed. Why shouldn't that be us? Why, why shouldn't we be the one to see, see, have answers to prayer? Don't you ever get tired of hearing about everybody else's answers to prayer? Why, but why shouldn't that be us? Why, God, call unto thee and all answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Hey, let's come boldly to the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldly, not arrogantly. Boldly just simply means I got access. I'm using it. And we get on, why shouldn't that be us? Why shouldn't we lead someone to Christ? Why shouldn't we teach a Sunday school class? Why shouldn't it be that God uses us in our lives? Because he wants to. Oh, Dr. Rice used to say, don't pray and ask God to use you. Make yourself available. He'll wear you out. The truth is, God wants to use people. Yeah. We're sitting back going, well, you got a personality that you know. Yeah, you know, I, I understand that. Look at the disciples. James and John. Sons of thunder. 
some of these other guys, you know, they, I've just noticed that it takes all kinds of flavors to make the soup. It just strikes me that God, his people, have all types of personalities. Some are weird. There are weird Christians out there. Please don't look at me because you're not supposed to. Especially if it's your spouse. Yeah. There are people out there. I know. I, we got, we, our bus picks up some folks. Sometimes they're special needs people. And they'll come in. And they'll come in. One guy's Chuck. Chuck's half deaf. Talks loud. And you cannot understand a word he's saying. Uh, Good, Chuck. You're trying to tell me something. And then a buddy that comes with him who's about half, half a click below Chuck, he interprets for him. Well, this is what he said, Pastor. I go, would you stay with him? Because whenever he asks for something, I have no idea what this fellow's trying to get at. And then Chuck goes to the altar to pray almost every service. And his britches are not hooked. So everybody on that side of the auditorium, when Chuck goes to the altar, goes, because. Somebody say, preach, do something with that guy. Say, get him a belt. Chuck, hey, Chuck, been at the altar 94 times more than you have. Get him, get him a belt. Say, no, correct. Okay, anyway, but the point is, the idea is, why shouldn't it be God using us in our life? I'm sorry. You got that? Okay, good. Okay. I went to bed until I was in junior high. Your grace got a whole lot to do with <laughs> No, that's not true. I don't. You see me do all that stuff to get part. Here's the thing. God called me to preach. I ran like a I ran like a rat from the side. And you got Lord, you got me killed. Why shouldn't we be used of God? Stop your excuses. Well, after all, I'm shy. Yeah, I know that. I am too. I'm a very private person. I'm in the wrong business. Very private person. I, I am a very private person. But that's not what God's called me to do. So then I got to get outside my little self, my little bubble, my little life. Well, if you knew my childhood, you're 50, get over it. Seriously. And if you're 21, still get over it, okay? Knock it out. Well, I just had this thing when I was 12, you know, my, I just realized I was, you know, I couldn't go and go deep. Okay, 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 okay come on. Yeah, and. Sunday school class, second grade boys. I think I told you this before. Scared to death, but I wanted to help those boys. Oh, we had a time in that class. Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we be made available and rely on God and let Him do what He can do with us? He, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul said, The Lord hath Shouldn't we be standing for the Lord? A certain man. A certain man. It's about a nice closing to turn back over.